to dive in. I, I figured out, I told Michelle last night, I figured out yesterday this will either be a two or a three part um, message because there just wasn't enough, there wasn't enough time uh, to get through uh, what we needed to because there's some foundation work that we're going to do today and um, in, in really getting some stuff in place to define uh, the basis for being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I, I just felt that it was important that we go ahead and get that part done and take enough time to get through that today. So um, there's not going to be anything on the screen other than this one slide right here because there's so much stuff we want to go through. And uh, we're going we're gonna to just buzz right through this stuff today because it's some powerful stuff. You're going to need to hang on with me. I'm actually going to remind you at one point during this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you now. If you're going to fall asleep at some point during this, either go ahead and go to sleep now um, or, or stay all the way awake because if you miss some portions of this, then you're going to struggle with understanding some of it. And I don't want you to go out and say that I said something that I didn't say. All right? I just want to make sure we're, we're clear on that because this is one of those where you need to be in for the whole thing or you need to be in for none of it because it's... Um, it's, it's, this is powerful stuff, and there's some good basis and some scriptural stuff that we're going to talk about. You're going to have to hang in here with me. Um, so I want to pray. I know we just prayed, but I want to pray specifically over this, and then we are, uh, we're going to just take off and, and go. God, I pray that today you allow our hearts and our minds to be open. God, that you allow us to um, see that we need to not just focus on maybe things that we have always been taught, not that those are good or bad or either one, but God, we need to dig into your word and logically and spiritually look at what your word says and understand it because of the power that we can be missing out on, God, if we are not tapped into what you're really trying to say. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us today. Give us strength, God. Keep me on point. And, God, I pray that you'll open the, not just the receptiveness of our minds, but help us, Holy Spirit, to understand as we go through this and to keep this stuff straight in our heads um, in this message today. And so, Father, we'll give you all the glory and the honor for you alone are worthy. We just pray and believe these things in Jesus' name. Church Together said, Amen. Amen. So if you want to turn, this is probably the biggest one that you're going to want to stay in. We're, we're, we're going to be talking a lot, obviously, about Acts. So Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 is going to be the foundation of what we, what we start talking about today. And uh, as I said, we're going to go across about three different weeks with this um, but because there's so much foundation work that we have to do today in laying this. So Acts chapter, seven, or Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And this is what it says. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We'll read that again. He, this is Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, Jesus is meeting with the apostles here in, in this passage. Most timelines list this probably closer to maybe uh, around 40 days or so after, after the uh, resurrection. And um, he tells them in verse 5, he tells them that John baptized with water, but they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he says, John baptized with water, but I'm, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I know there's a lot of people that have issues and they struggle with the phrasing of baptized with the Holy Spirit. I would just share this with you. Talk to Jesus because he's the one that said it. Okay. So now if you want to talk about issues about what, what that means, now I'm okay with that. But if you've got a problem with the phraseology, then that's the best interpretation pretty much that we, that we had. Uh, of what Jesus said, where he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And um, let's go ahead and address something right at the start. Within the Christian faith, there are varying beliefs about the Holy Spirit, about being filled with the Holy Spirit, about gifts of the Spirit. And the reality is that all the sides of the argument use the same scriptures. <laughs> they all use the same scriptures and say, this means this, and the other side says, no, this means this. All right, so there's just a problem. So it makes it kind of tough to sort through the information to find what you're willing to settle on as being the truth of the matter. I want to share an excerpt from a book I was reading this week. It was authored by a gentleman who was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for 10 years, which I will go ahead and share with you. Dallas Theological is the premier Baptist um, uh, seminary, and... Um, and just in general, that, um, that, is, that seminary is a cessationist um, believing seminary, meaning that they believe that the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit uh, ceased after the apostles died. That's cessation. They believe that ceased after the apostles died. This guy, um, his name is Jack Deere. He was a professor there for 10 years and uh, before he came to a little different understanding of the Holy Spirit in his life. This is what he said. Over the years, I've observed that the majority of what Christians believe is not derived from their own patient and careful study of the Scriptures. The majority of Christians believe what they believe because godly and respected teachers told them it was correct. There are many Christians, for example, who believe in the deity of Jesus but could never defend his deity from the Scriptures. Although they believe the Scriptures teach that Jesus is God, they did not come to this belief through a careful study of the Scriptures. It is part of the tradition that has been handed down to them by their teachers. In this case, they benefited from tradition because this particular tradition rests squarely on the teaching of Scripture. However, when our belief systems move beyond the basic fundamentals of the faith, the deity of Jesus, justification by faith, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, and so on, to things that aren't as fundamental, the mode of baptism, sprinkling, dipping, all that, the manner of taking the Lord's Supper, or a particular view of the millennium, we're much more dependent on tradition than we realize. In these cases, J.I. Packer offers sound advice. What we must do, rather, is acknowledge that we are full of tradition, good or bad, to a much greater extent than we realize, and must learn to ask, by the light of Scripture, critical questions about what we have thus far 
taken for granted. It's very easy for someone who believes in the cessation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to fall back on the fact that this is what they've been taught by people that they love and people that they respect. The same goes for people who've been taught that there's no evidence in Scripture that God only intended for these gifts to happen with the apostles and died out with them, but instead they've been taught that continues as an available experience today. Their teachers were people that they loved and that they respected. And I want to go ahead and up front tell you that I, I don't find... In, in my lifetime, I don't find that the people on opposite sides of this belief system, I don't find that there's ungodly teachers really on either side. I'm not saying that there aren't any anywhere, but I'm talking about people who have been godly folks, who served God, who loved God, who win the lost, who do all of these kind of things. They're, they're faithful in church. They're faithful with their finances. They're faithful in their marriages, all those things. It's not like I can look at one side of this and go, ah, I can tell there's a difference because on this side, it's a bunch of people that are hypocritical. They just act like they love Jesus, but then when you know their real life, so you can't trust their teaching. It's not the case at all. I have, I have friends that I respect and would call on to pray for me at any point in time that do not believe in the gifts of the Spirit being still in operation. I have friends that I would call on at any point to pray right after I call those other folks, and they do believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still. So it's not an issue of trying to find people on either side to say they're a whack job, they're, they're just a nut, and so we can't believe them and can't believe what they teach. That's not, the, that's not the situation. So for me, the question really comes down to this. Is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit... I want you, this is a very specific question that I just felt like God crafted in this for me. Is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit necessary and proclaimed by Jesus as something being given to us? Is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit necessary and proclaimed by Jesus as something being given to us? Notice I didn't say that the question is, do gifts still exist today? I didn't, that's the wrong question for us to ask. That's, that we're starting at the wrong point there. We should be starting from Acts 1, 7, and 8 and saying, do I believe that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is necessary and was proclaimed by Jesus as something being given to us? If the answer then is yes, then we can start to talk about then how is that going to happen? we got to start from the premise of is this something that God intends for us as far as empowerment? I'm not talking gifts yet, I'm not talking any of that stuff. Empowerment of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, you stay in Jerusalem, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. You will be empowered. All right? What did, what did we read there? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if we can all agree, starting out, I promise I'm not trying to trick you. I'm going to walk you right through some stuff. We can agree Jesus said you need to receive power. And you're going to receive that power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses here, near, and far. Okay. So, we can't head over into any other questions yet. We just got to simply answer that question. Is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit necessary and proclaimed by Jesus as something being given to us? 
Don't jump over into, well, wait a minute, I want to talk about how we get it or when we get it or how many times we get it. Or, no, no, you, you, you're getting too far into the weeds starting out. We've got to start with the premise that we all agree, yes, Jesus says we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he told the apostles then, he told them, he said, and he's going to come because they did not have him yet. Because remember, Jesus said that unless I go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit but we're going to talk about that too. Did the Holy Spirit not exist in the world? Did, was the Holy Spirit not around? Was the Holy Spirit not doing anything? Or was there a difference in what Jesus was saying? There's going to be a different operation that he's going to do when he comes after I leave. We're going to, we're going to talk about some of that. My answer to the question, personally about is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit necessary and proclaim of Jesus as something being given to us is a resounding yes. Jesus said power would be received when the Holy Spirit was come on those who waited for this promise to be fulfilled. So we're going to put a stake in the ground. We're going to put a stake in the ground right there and say, okay, so I, we, we can at least try to agree that Jesus clearly wanted his followers to receive some sort of experience with the Holy Spirit after he departed and that experience was going to empower them. If we can agree that Jesus said that, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You need to wait. With that fact established, then we are led to ask then the next logical question. Did these people not already have the Holy Spirit in their lives before the occurrence in the book of Acts, chapter 2? Wait a minute. Why are they having to wait on the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit not already a part of their life? Now, this is where... This is why I ended up on three weeks, right here, because we're going to spend some time now and talk. I, 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 spent, I spent time all this week, and I spent about seven hours yesterday um, getting ready for this and trying to distill some of this down. And, and um, I have in my library, I have all the different opinions. Um, I have them there, and, and I read them, and, and I went through them, and so I want to be able to make sure that I establish groundwork because I don't want to just say, well, here's what I believe, and boom, take off and say, here's what we're going to do and just feed that to you. I want to give you an analysis of what are the two major opinions, and I want to share with you what at least Scripture says about it, understanding that people use, try to use the same Scriptures. But we're also going to then, since people are trying to use the same Scriptures, then we're also going to have to just do some basic logic that allows us to look at some stuff and say, well, if two people or multiples of people who are doc have doctorates and everything else and are well-respected, well-studied, are saying, I, I believe this, and everyone goes, nope, I believe this, then we're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us to tell us about the Holy Spirit <laughs> as we read that. So I want you to focus in. This is that moment where go all the way off or else stay in. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. This is capital S, so this is referring to the Holy Spirit. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So we're going to take a simple truth from this verse. If the Holy Spirit is not living in you, then you do not belong to Christ. All right? Meaning you don't have salvation, you don't have eternal life with Christ. 
The remainder of Romans 8, if you read it, walks through and makes it clear that the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit living inside of someone is synonymous with them being a child of God. rest of Romans 8 goes through that. Talks about you have the Spirit, therefore, that, that you're a child of God. Now, those who oppose that there is a second work of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, there's people that call it a second work of grace, there's whatever. It really doesn't matter to me what you want to call it. I want you to hang. This is, this is an important thing. You probably never heard this. No matter what church background you grew up in, you probably never heard this, but this is the, the theological position that's held by those who do not believe that Acts 2 was a second act of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. All right, Here's what the belief is, the, the theological statement. They state that the apostles and other followers of Christ didn't actually have salvation until after Acts 2. They state that, yeah, they had started to go through a mental exercise maybe of believing, but they had not truly believed. Here's why. i got to make sure I stay on my notes. I don't want to. Uh, it's, it's in here. The position has to be that these people weren't really saved. They have to believe this because if the Holy Spirit already resides in the apostles and in these believers who are gathered in the upper room, if he already is indwelling them at the point of salvation, then this is a second work of the Holy Spirit. Because he's already in them, but now there's going to be something else that happens where in the upper room experience that the Holy Spirit falls and something different occurs, and you would have to then admit that Jesus tells them when that happens, you will receive power. So there's an element of spiritual power you would have to believe that you don't have until you experience this outpouring of the, of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So just from a pure logical standpoint, you have to, if you don't want to believe that that still occurs today, you have to say these guys couldn't have been saved then. Because if they were already saved... And the Holy Spirit, since the Bible tells us there in Romans 8, Paul's already said, hey, if, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you don't belong to Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit inside you, you're not saved. Okay, then. They couldn't have been saved then, is the, is the belief, before Acts 2, or else that's the second work of the Holy Spirit. And the doctrine defines the interpretation of the Scripture with people that believe that. I'm just telling you. You have to believe they couldn't have been saved in order for that not to be a second work of the Holy Spirit. You can't believe these people were saved unless you're going to admit that now God does something different with the Holy Spirit in their lives. You will rarely, if never, hear the actual doctrinal statement, the, the theological position stated by people who are cessationists to say, because that's the only thing that makes sense. You can't say these people were saved, and therefore the Holy Spirit was indwelling them, because we see in Romans and a lot of other places that the Bible talks about that the Spirit of God is in you in order for you to be saved. So, they, so here's what then they need to state as well. That everywhere in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is poured out on people, those people must not be true believers until after that pouring out of men. Mm -hmm. 
In other words, let's just call it straight. Those people would have gone to hell if they had died before Acts 2. Because if you're going to deny that Acts 2 is a second work of the Holy Spirit, of, of whatever purpose, forget gifts, we're not trying to get there yet. If you're saying that it's not a second work, then you've got to say these people weren't saved. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 pours out on them that, that at least that group gets saved. So you're tracking with me on that. I know that's a little, but you got to understand that because then we're going to have to look at some other scriptures and figure out whether that makes sense or not. By the way, that's a pretty decent stretch, right? Be, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to see some scripture on that here in a minute. But, but there's no way. Are you following me on the logic? You can't believe that they were saved and that the Holy Spirit indwelled them, which Romans 8 9 says that Spirit's going to be in you if, you're, if you belong to Christ. Spirit can't be in you already unless you're going to believe this is a second work. Okay. So let's take a few more, uh, look at a few more scriptures that actually support the idea that the Holy Spirit has to reside in every believer. All right, Jude 18 and 19. I'm going to give you a, a negative statement of this. It's a reverse statement. This is what 18 and 19 says. They told you, and in quotes, in the end time there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. Close quotes. These people create divisions and are unbelievers not having the Spirit. Capital S. He equates unbelievers with you don't have the Spirit. These people are unbelievers not have, because they not having the Spirit. Galatians 4 and 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, capital S, Spirit, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you see the Trinity discussed there that because your sons, God the Father has sent the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of His Son into your heart so that you then can reply back to God and call Him Father. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I want you to grab hold of something in that last one. Jesus said, we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus doesn't say that the Father will come live in you, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit won't be living in you. Jesus doesn't say that he will come and live in you, but the Father and the Holy Spirit won't live in you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. I'm not going to go into a long discourse about the Trinity, even though they have individual personalities, but yet they are one being one entity. So it's not that one of them comes and lives in you and the other ones don't. So he says, Jesus, while he's still alive here on earth, before his death, burial, and resurrection, if anyone loves me, loves, present tense, and, and can go forward as well in this. He doesn't say loveth, but... He will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He doesn't say, but that can't happen until after Acts 2. And y'all don't really know what Acts is yet, people here listening to Jesus. But I'm telling you, at some point, you'll understand. No, he doesn't say that. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. But were there any people who were justified prior to Acts 2. 
Well, let's, let's see about some other folks. Let's see what happened. In John chapter 3, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about salvation. Jesus makes it clear that Nicodemus could believe right then. In fact, this is what he says in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Because by the way, this was when he's talking to Nicodemus. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, present tense, everyone who believes in him will not perish, future, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes, present tense, in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed, past tense up to now, in the name of the one and only Son of God. Jesus makes it clear. You can believe right now. In his time when he was talking, he has not died yet. He has not been buried. He has not been resurrected. And he has not gone away. And the Holy Spirit has not been sent in Acts 2 yet. And Jesus says... Anyone who believes right now is not condemned. In fact, go back, get back to 16. He, he, everyone who believes right now in him will not perish but have eternal life. You can believe right now and your future be assured, he says. Not, well, it'd be good if you started thinking about believing right now and try not to die. I mean, I, I, mean I, I hate to be to take it to such a sarcastic extreme, but, but when you start saying, no, 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 that couldn't be a secondary work because they just couldn't have really been fully saved yet and whatever else, then I don't know of any partial salvations. I, I, I really don't. But anyway, it, it, so, so where Jesus doesn't look and say, all right, try not to die between now and sometime in the future because there's going to be this cool thing that's going to happen that I hadn't really told anybody about yet. It's going to be a while, but you need to not die before then, but start thinking about believing between now and then. And then when you hear about a really cool uproar that happens in Jerusalem and there's going to be some people and some languages involved and some other stuff, then you need to believe right then, right then. Go ahead and believe right then. He doesn't say that. Everyone who believes in him so we can see that plainly there are people who had the ability to believe in Jesus. By the way, as a, as a side note, and I actually forgot to put the scripture in here, and I mentioned it to Michelle last night, and I wasn't going to reprint. But, uh, but remember when at one point when the disciples go out? I'm going I'm to totally dispel the whole thing for you because it's hard to argue with Jesus. Right? <laughs> People do, but it's hard to. The disciples go out. And, and they are, they're, they're doing works. They're, miracles and all this stuff are happening, right? And you remember they came back. And they were rejoicing, the Bible says. And they, they said, wow, this is awesome because even demons basically are under our authority. They respond. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, don't rejoice over that. But rejoice over what? That your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He doesn't say, hey, rejoice over that. That's cool, but you guys aren't saved yet. You need to hang around till Acts 2, and then your name will get written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He says, no, don't rejoice over that this is happening. That's awesome. But the most powerful thing is that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. 
John chapter 3, verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. Has. Has eternal life. But the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. All of this was spoken before Acts 2. And there's other stuff, but that's just some prime examples. Before Acts 2. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus pray for his disciples. Remember, this is, a, this is a lengthy passage in John chapter 17. It's where he says, you know, Father, these are mine. I ask that you keep them. He doesn't say, Father, I ask that you regenerate them. Father, I ask that you let them have a conversion experience. He says, Father, I pray that you keep them. Because they're mine and you've given them to me. And he even says, they're not of this world even as I am not of this world. These are some saved people. They just have not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit because He hasn't come in that fashion yet because Jesus is here and Jesus describes and says, I've got to leave because I'm going to send you another comforter. While Jesus was here, He was able to be a comfort to them, but He says, I'm going to send another one. And He's going to operate in a, in a different way. In Matthew chapter 5, the, the Beatitudes passage... Jesus describes people as already being the salt of the earth. He describes people as already being the light of the world. And he says that when people see that, they will give glory to your Father in heaven. He states that due to the persecution they will face, their reward is great in heaven. Jesus encouraged people to repent. He described people as He is, not of this world, salt, light. And he says that those who believe have eternal life. Jesus told them that the people who loved him would keep his word and the collective of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would come and live in them, but never with some time frame that said this will only happen after Acts 2 occurs. So a plain reading of the Scripture. A plain reading. I was, I was reading a comment from that, that professor from Dallas Theological Seminary, and he said... Here's what I realized. He said, I realized that if you took someone who had never been exposed to God's Word, they'd never been taught anything, and you put them in a room and you had them read it, he said, they would not come out saying, well, it was cool that there were these gifts that were going on and some operation that was happening, but that went away. A plain reading, you can't come away with that. The only way you can come away with that is that you want to believe that that's not present. And as he goes further into explaining in, in his book, for after spending his whole life, his whole life believing that none of this existed until they invited a man to come and to speak at a conference they were having. And here this guy was pastoring his own church. He had known people for 15, 20 years. They had no charismatic background. They had no background of anything with the Holy Spirit. And as he watched as people were healed, as he watched as people began to confess things, people crying in an altar, and he said, I'd never seen anything like it. I knew these people. I knew they weren't working anything up. I knew they weren't doing something, but, but these were my church folks. Side, I am going to get off my, for just a moment. Side note, he, uh, I was telling Michelle this story. He, he shares in there, he says they went, he went to a church service. And a guy, and, and I know people got, they got their issues or whatever. And I've got problems with, there's abuse that happens. But, um, but said, said the guy that was there speaking, he was, he was um, 
well known as far as his spiritual condition, not just that he, you know, some big name somebody. But said, when it came time for prayer, said he told him, he said, I just feel like said, God has put on my heart, this, this speaker did, said God has put on my heart that there is, that he wants me to pray specifically about healing in a certain area. Now, I've always had an issue with part of this, so, so as I was reading the story, I was going, oh, yeah, yeah, and then he got further in the story. <laughs> he says, I'm going to pray for everybody that has pain in their back. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, if you got a 1,000 people there, there's going to be a bunch of people. Yeah, I got pain in my back. I'm going to go up and let somebody pray for me, you know, and some people are going to have not that much pain, and, and they're gonna, you're going to pray for them. They're going to get a little shot of adrenaline, you know, because they're, they're excited. And they're going, yeah, my back's not hurting. And I'm going, ah. that's the way he was in the book. So some people came and, and prayed for him. So the guy said, yeah, the, the person that God specifically put on my heart, you haven't come yet. Said you have pain in your back, but you went to the doctor within the last three days. Said nobody moved. Said the guy stood there for a minute. And he said, okay. God said, Margaret, that you are to come for prayer. <laughs> and he said, this woman stands up and she starts walking down the, down the aisle. All right. And, and he said, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, whatever. Says, oh, yeah, she's Margaret McGregor. You know, we'll use that. She's Margaret McGregor here today, but a week ago in a service somewhere else, she was probably this person. This is a setup. And he said, the guy next to me was from my church. I'd known him for 15 years. He'd been a member of my church. And said, he goes, that's my sister-in-law. <laughs> and said, Found out through all this. So the, the, the woman goes up. The guy prays for her. He's not doing some big show or whatever else. And, and, and the woman's like, it's gone. It's gone. He followed because of this connection through his church member. And he said, I didn't believe him. I said, this guy goes, man, yeah, she's had problems for years. I could tell you stories out of my family, out of my parents. But we would maybe do that in another week. A plain reading of Scripture indicates that the disciples and apostles who ended up in the upper room in Acts 2 had indeed already experienced salvation. The only reason that one would believe otherwise is due to a need to make the Scripture fit a belief that you had that there couldn't be a second experience with the, the Holy Spirit. So, if we can admit that the disciples, that the apostles were already saved since Jesus had already said their names were written in the Lamb Book of Life and that's what they could rejoice over and that was way before Acts chapter 1 or 2, we got to believe that these were saved people. So for whatever you want to call it, we're not making leaps yet. We're just going dot to dot here. Then there is some second experience that happens with them then in the upper room. We've already seen that if they're saved, that the Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit has to indwell you as a part of salvation. Because if if as we like to say, if Jesus comes to live in your heart, then so does God and so does the Holy Spirit because they, the three are one. And Jesus himself said that if you love me, then you keep my commands and my Father will love you and we will come and live in you and, and we will make our home in, in you. All right. So that's just, that's just scripture. We're just building precept on precept, line upon line. So I want to help you understand part of this because if you go, wait a minute. So what are you saying happens with the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation? It's pretty straightforward. Um, 
because remember, we just said, Jesus said, you're, John baptized with water, but not many days from this, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So let's think about baptism. Baptism has three elements to it, or it has three parts to it. You have an agent who does the baptizing. You have the element in which the baptism occurs and the candidate who's being baptized. So just think about when we do baptism in here. So you have an agent. That's usually me, right? I'm the person who's going to baptize somebody, all right? Then we have the element that they're going to be baptized in, which is the water. And then we have the candidate, which is the person. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, By one spirit, capital S, by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. By one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So the Holy Spirit... What is the one body that we're a part of? The body of Christ. So, so the Holy Spirit baptizes us, according to that, baptizes us into Christ. Why? Holy Spirit is the one who draws us. Christ is the one to whom we enter into relationship with, and it restores the connection to the Father, right? So the Holy Spirit draws us to, the, to Christ, and therefore we regain the restored relationship to God. So the Holy Spirit is the agent. We're baptized into one body, which is Jesus, and we are the candidate. However, Acts chapter 2, verse 33 says, Therefore, since he, speaking of Jesus, has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that here in a second. He has, he, Jesus, has poured out what you both see and hear. By the way, you just ought to do enough. You, you've got to ask the question, wait a minute. If, if God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in, they're in connected relationship with each other as the Trinity, they are, they are connected together. They are one entity. Why did Jesus who was exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. Why, they're all in relationship anyway. It's like, well, you didn't have something? That... So it obviously it wasn't about just the pure relationship. It was about something that, that the Holy Spirit could then do. Because they're in constant relationship as the three in one. But God the Father gives Jesus the promise of the Holy Spirit, and, and he turns around and says, and Jesus has poured out what you both see and hear. What did they see and hear? In Acts chapter 2, we see that he said that when the Holy Spirit came into that upper room, that there were tongues that, that were as flames of fire that were divided. So it was, had, had like two flickers. Had two flickers going on for whatever he had two flickers on it. So had a divided tongue of fire that, that, that came upon them and says then that they spoke in other tongues and they proclaimed the, the, the majesty and the glory of God. And that's when we see that there were, the, there were people from all other nations who were there in Jerusalem on that day and they began to marvel and said, who are, what is going on here? Are these people drunk and all this? Because, you know, because we are hearing them and we know they don't know the languages, but they are proclaiming the, the, the majesty, the glory, the works of God in our tongue, in our language. 
He says, Therefore, since Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out what you both see and hear. Jesus received some empowerment that the Holy Spirit was going to be able to do in people, and he poured it out on people. So here's how you encapsulate that. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ, but Christ baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's why Jesus said, if I don't go away, I can't send the Comforter. That's why he said, Terry, stay in Jerusalem, because not many days from now, you will, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you'll receive power. Acts 2.33 says, hey, what you're seeing happen right here is because that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and now has received the gift of the whole, that promise of the Holy Spirit and he's poured it out on us here today. Actually, let me just read you Acts 2, 1 through 4. Actually, actually, let me read you Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind. doesn't say it was a violent rushing wind. It says suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. By the way, in case you're wondering about the fire thing, let's just go ahead and go back all the way to John when he was baptizing John the Baptist. Not St. John, but John the Baptist. John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, Oh, you know, I've been baptizing you with water, but there's one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Just giving you what the Word says, right? Just keeping it, keeping it real. So... It happens. They get fire, whatever. This that happened in Acts 2 is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that occurs at salvation. These people were already saved. You can't say, man, you have to go through some massive mental gymnastics to say God was using these disciples to do miracles and healings and all this stuff and telling them that their name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but he was really not being truthful and he really meant that they weren't saved yet in order to believe that they didn't, weren't saved. And enough scripture shows that if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. He's indwelling. So therefore, they already had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit indwelling in them because my Father will love you and we'll come and make our home in you. And now something else happens that Jesus said is going to come about so that you will receive power. Now, here's another thing that, that gets put out there by uh, opponents of this, this pretty plain belief, I, I think. Um, they will say, well, you're creating two classes of Christians, and God doesn't do that. Lie from the devil. Lie from the devil, not that God doesn't create two classes of Christians. <laughs> you go, wait, 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 now what are you about to say? I'm going to tell you what I'm about to say. Just look up scripture about milk and meat. The Bible says, hey, I, I wanted to, he says, I wanted to bring and, and give you meat, but I can't because you're still on milk. By now, you should have been teachers, but instead, you're still having to be taught. There's, your, there's two classes right there. Now, he, the, the difference is the two classes are not meant to be derogatory. You're both saved. You're both going to go to heaven. 
It's just, he says, from a maturity. So that's what people say. They say, well, we don't like the two classes. It just needs to be that people are on a different, they're on a different spot in the timeline. Okay, whatever. I'm just saying that the Word of God said that some of you on milk and some of you need to be on meat. There's two different groups of people. You got people who are, and then he talks about your babes in Christ. You should have been mature. There's two classes of people. Don't find it to be classes to be that, oh, we're more super spiritual than you are. In fact, I would say that if that's your attitude, you're not in the meat class. You're still on the milk because you got some stuff that's not the Holy Spirit acting up inside of you. So anyway, so when people do that whole, you know, oh, God doesn't create two different classes of people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely it does. It's just that with God, the, the distinctions and the separations don't preclude anyone from, from being receiving the promise and going to heaven or anything like that. We're going to see some more of that in Scripture. Because ultimately it doesn't matter what I tell you about any of that. We're just going to see what Scripture says. So this filling, not indwelling, because he already dwelt in, but this filling with the Holy Spirit accomplishes exactly what Jesus had stated in Acts 1 because they immediately received power. In this case, that power was they had the ability to speak in other languages. In this particular instance, I don't see, we'll go ahead and dive a little bit into some, I don't see that in the Acts 2 instance that this was an issue of people speaking in an unknown tongue. He says they were speaking in other languages. Um, that's the best interpretation at this, in this particular instance. And there were people there that therefore they heard in their native tongue the works of God being proclaimed. All right? We'll see other stuff later, but... That's what we see. Uh, that's what we see right here. So they received power, and so they were able to speak in a tongue they didn't know. By the way, if you haven't been here in the two different times that we've had Jonathan Augustine come and speak for us, um, you just have a hard time explaining and telling him something different, because there he is as a missionary, who uh, I think when he was around 19 years old or so, and he was there in the, the Balkans and all that, he did not speak the language. He ended up in a car. With uh, he's from out of the Midwest. He's from out of like Oklahoma area. He's out, I think, out around your area. He's a farm boy, and he he said, "Hey, I um, I, I there God had called him to be a, a missionary to that that part of the country, which is where he is, and we support him as a church every month." And um, and he said uh, he was in a in a car with a pastor who didn't speak English, and he said they were riding down the road and they were listening to music or whatever, and and somehow the short version is the. That man, I, he said, you know, man, you just feel God's presence in that car, and the guy says something, and Jonathan responds to him, and and they're and then the guy goes, I did not know that you spoke Romanian, and he says, I don't. He says, but you are. And he ended up at a conference that they were going to, and and they uh, they mentioned something. One of the guys tried to tell him, hey, you know, uh, so here's what the speaker was just saying. He says, I know what he's saying. So what do you mean? You, you don't speak you know, the, the language. He says, I, I'm just tell, I know what he's saying. <laughs> he has gotten tickets in that country because, and, and gets strange looks. He, he told us while we were at lunch that day uh, after the time he came and spoke, he said, he said, because God so gave him that that he speaks with a native, with a native accent. And, and he looks. He's dark, semi-dark complexion, dark hair and all that. He says he will get pulled over you know, I guess he's got a little heavy foot at times. He said he's gotten pulled over, and he'll give them his American license, and then he'll be talking with them in their, 
in their language. And they will say, so, and he says, I, he says, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, so which one? And he says, what do you mean? Your mother or your father, which one was Romanian? And he says, neither. They're both. And they, oh, you, you have no accent. You speak like a native. And of course, we made him do it, right? We made him do it at lunch. We're like, I mean, speak something, you know? And, he, and he'll just start talking to you in Romanian. He says, I, didn't, I was never trained. I didn't take any classes. I, he's, God just empowered me to do that as a missionary. And it's just, it's well known. His wife that he's married to, Daniela, who's a professor, and now they're living somewhere there in Europe because she's gotten a position there. And, and he called her on the phone, and, and she was like, who is this? Because they weren't, they weren't married yet. And he, went, and he was like, this is Jonathan. She's like, this is no, it's no time for joking. But where it is, she didn't even marry so they received power, and then they immediately became witnesses. That's exactly what Jesus said. Peter was empowered to boldly and powerfully proclaim the gospel message following that. That's when he stands up and says, you know, this is that which was foretold by the prophet Joel. These, men, these people are not drunk like you assume. See, it's, it's only, you know, the, the sixth hour of the day. This is not what's going on. And then he begins to proclaim the gospel. The people came under deep conviction, which was proclaimed about the Holy Spirit because it said, Jesus at one point said that when the Holy Spirit comes, said he will convict the world of sin. The people responded to Peter and his message, and they asked him. He didn't have to give an invitation. They said, what must we do? Peter tells them, repent, be baptized, and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. About 3,000 people got saved that day as a result of the empowerment from this filling with the Holy Spirit that manifested before the people. In Acts 8, we see Philip, because there, there, there uh, there, there's a lot of, you know, some persecution that's going on, so people kind of get up, they get out of Dodge. Philip goes down to Samaria, and he's going to preach Jesus. He's performing signs. There's unclean spirits coming out of people that are possessed. Paralytics and the lame were being healed that you'll see in, in, in chapter 8, Acts 8, verse 12 says that both men and women believed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ that Philip preached, and they subsequently got baptized in water. This is, they got baptized in water. Now, I want to stop and I want to, be, I want to share something related to this passage. There are people who claim that these folks did not truly have a conversion experience. Here's why. They say this because the passage includes reference to Simon, a sorcerer. And the Bible says that Simon, this, this is the way it states it, that Simon, even Simon, also believed and got baptized. Now later, we're going to see that um, in, in Acts chapter, chapter 8, we're not going to be able to dive into this. You can look into some of this stuff on, on your own. But in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John come down. This is, this is what it says. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had welcomed God's message, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. 
When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power too, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you, because you thought the gift of God could be attained with money. You have no part or share in this matter, in this this impartation of the Holy Spirit, because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Please pray the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now, people say, wait a minute, so was... Are you saying that did Simon get saved and then he wasn't right? Or because there's some historical stuff about him... Um, trying to claim that he was a Messiah and all this kind of stuff. I don't have any problem in, uh, and I don't believe in avoiding difficult questions, so let's address it. Let's get it out of the way for you. Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the soils, we see that the seed is sometimes received, but then does not endure. There's multiple souls that are listed. They all get the seed, but then you have one that the, the Bible says that, that it didn't have good root, so when the sun came, it dried up and withered. So it apparently at some level received the seed, but it didn't take root. All right. Then we have where that there is, um, we have the one where it, it apparently gets there and starts to grow up. And the Bible says that the cares of this world grow up and choke it out. There's only one that actually... It is, is stated as being a positive soil because it's really not the parable of the sower because the sower is the same, the message is the same, seed's the same. It's just the ground is different. Regardless of the cause, there was no enduring reception of the seed. And this is why that various scriptures remind us, those who endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Endurance is an indication of true conversion because we, as humans alone, you hang with me, we as humans can look at someone and they may go a year, two years, five years. I've said it before. And then you find out they got a secret life going on. They'd been coming to church. They'd been looking like they were serving. They'd raise their hands during worship. They'd go share the gospel with people because it's not about you. The gospel is what has the power. The Holy Spirit is what does the work in somebody's life. So someone who is even ungodly can share the truth of God's word and God can use that word and bring salvation salvation into somebody from an ungodly source. Just want you to know that. That's why Jimmy Swaggart could stand up while he was meeting with prostitutes, could stand up and do services and people get saved and everything because it wasn't about him. It was about the message and about the Holy Spirit. We've just made it about man when it's always been about God. So I don't have a problem with the fact that the, the Bible says that endurance is an indication, really, it, it shows us endurance is an indication of true conversion. I will tell you this, though, the Bible says that the Spirit will bear witness. And what happened in this? The Holy Spirit came down on these people that were there, and it bore witness of what was in Simon's heart. Because when the Holy Spirit showed up, what was in Simon wasn't the Holy Spirit, and it came out. That's why the Bible says the Spirit will bear witness. So the Holy Spirit shows up, boom, it made a witness. Actually, Simon witnessed against himself. Just saying. So I'm not bothered uh, personally by that passage because um, 
I, I, I quickly can see and identify and recognize that um, while he may have believed in his head, believed in his head, it doesn't always mean that you have a heart conversion. I've seen many a person that I think in their head believed and asked to be baptized and started going through the motions, but they did not have a true life change. They did not have a true conversion experience. They had an emotional moment. They, they would tell you, I believe that. But belief that is not acted out is not really, that's, that's a head belief and it's not a life belief. It's not a heart belief. It's not a, it's not a life change. In Acts 10, we see Cornelius reach out to Peter at the direction of an angel sent by God. Now, I want to be very upfront and very clear on this. There is no clear, definitive statement that Cornelius is a believer or not before Peter arrives. This is one I will, I will tell you. I won't try to hide anything from me. I didn't leave it out so that I didn't have to address it. There's not a, a true statement, a definitive statement that says that Cornelius is a believer. But here is how Cornelius is described in Acts chapter 10. He is described as devout. Here's what it says. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. I can't say that the Bible definitively says whether he's saved or not. does not clearly say, but it says he's devout. He fears God along with his whole household. He did charitable deeds for the Jewish people. He's not Jewish, but he does that. And in this time frame, knowing this historically, that's a big deal because he could ostracize himself for doing that, and he always prayed to God. Here's an interesting thing, and I don't have enough time to dive into this context this uh, or this, this statement this week. But, uh, but really, you can't find biblically that there is support for that God is listening to the prayer of a sinner except for a prayer of repentance. This guy is always praying to God, and God gives him a vision. And the vision is an angel of God who came to him and told him, you need to send for this guy. You need to send for Peter. God, at the same time, appears to Peter. He's up on the rooftop, remember? And, and he's praying and he has a vision and, and there's a sheet let down, you know, right? It's got all these different kinds of animals in it that are unclean to the Jewish people. And God says, rise, slay, and eat. And he says, oh, Lord, I'm not going to eat of anything that's unclean. And God says, how dare you call unclean that which I have made clean? And then a knock comes on the door and he goes down right and there's these people and they say, hey, our, we serve this, this guy named Cornelius and he has sent us for you. And he goes and when, when Peter gets there, it says, and while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions to Simon's house stood at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. I'm going to skip Skip on down. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up and said, Stand up. I myself am also a man. While talking with them, he went on in and found that many had come together there. This dude started a church. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, why did you send for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago, at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. This don't sound like an unbeliever, I'm just saying. 
Just then a man in a dazzling robe stood before him and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He's lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. Therefore, I immediately sent for you, and you did the right thing in coming. So we're all present before God to hear everything you've been commanded by the Lord. Then Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. Sounds like a dude that's saved to me. I'm just saying he sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news. He goes, and here's, a, here's a powerful one. You know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He anointed him. And how because God was with him, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses. He goes through all of this stuff. He gets through all that. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For, after, for they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of God. By the way, side note, then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him, Hang out for a few days, bro. <laughs> Sorry, that's my, my interpretation. It says, Then they asked him to stay for a few days. I'm just, I'm just telling you. So people go, Ah, oh, see, they weren't saved. I've already told you I can't definitively say because the Bible's not clear on whether they were saved or not. All I know is I've never seen any sinners described in that fashion, doing righteousness before God, being accepted by God, praying to God, being heard by God. There you go. All right. So, you know, if you've got a problem with that, we can keep going. <laughs> Acts chapter 19, we see another occurrence. I said, boy, I missed 12 or 6. I'm, I'm rolling fast as I can. I got, I got just a little bit left. Acts chapter 19, we see another occurrence. Paul travels to Ephesus and he finds some disciples. That's what it says. Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, we're chapter 19 of Acts. Holy Spirit got poured out in Acts chapter 2. No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, Paul says, when you believed, past tense, Paul doesn't indicate, hey, have you believed? He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And we're not talking, he's talking about something totally different now. He's not talking about did you receive the indwelling or whatever. He's just been through Acts 2 and all these other things that are going on. He's going, did you receive that? Have you received this outpouring that has resulted in empowerment when you believed? And they said, we hadn't even heard whether there was such a thing. And he says, then what baptism were you baptized with? 
with John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right? So, so, <laughs> so Paul's looking and he says, hey, so did you guys receive this, this work of the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, nope, we haven't even heard whether there was such a thing. He goes, well, what would you get baptized in? Because he's looking for, that Jesus had told him, you're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit and you're going to receive power. And they said, well, we got baptized in water. We got baptized in John's baptism. And he says, well, that's cool because that is the baptism of repentance, looking to the one who's to come, who is Jesus. So we need to, not, we need to baptize you current. We need to baptize you in Jesus' name, not in repentance of one who is to come, but we're just going to go ahead and make the problem. Why? Was it because they weren't believers? I don't find that to be the case scripturally. What I find is he's saying, okay, you guys believed that there was a Messiah to come and you accepted John's baptism as an indication that you had repented and were believing. I want to know whether you believe Jesus is that one. And they said, baptize us. So they got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, yes, he is the Messiah. Not just we repented and we believed about the one who was to come, but we believe Jesus, yeah, he's that one. So baptize us, public proclamation that, yes, that is what we believe. And then what happens? And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other languages and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. Paul addresses two things to those believers. He baptizes them in the name of Jesus, made a clear separation. They didn't indeed believe in Jesus. Then he lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit poured out on them. And this is a, another time where we do see that people speak in a language that they don't know, and they also prophesied. Here's what I want you to plainly see from Scripture. We see evidence that people who had already believed in Christ later received an experience where the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and it was demonstrated by power and witness in their lives. If a plain reading of the Scripture lets us see that, then we only have to ask ourselves, is that still at work today? You can't deny that it happened. And I don't even know people who oppose current operations. Cessationists don't deny that it, that it happened in Scripture because it's there. I mean, you got to be something bad wrong to say, no, it didn't happen, because it's there. And then the question becomes, is it still happening today? Now, I want to I wanna throw something out of the roof, because I've got to close up. Um, but I want to very quickly give you a, a quick statement out of Scripture, because next week we're going to dive into this larger question Paul in writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this pursue love I'm just beginning with verse 1 actually pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and above all that you may prophesy for the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men but to God since no one understands him just for a moment, because I'm going to dive more into this later. This, I want to tell you, is whether you believe it's today or not, at least at this point. He says, no one understands him. That means this is something different 
than what happened in the other situations where people spoke in another language and other people heard and went, oh, that's our language. Here he says, no one understands them. However, he speaks mysteries in the spirit, capital S. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another language builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking another language, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation of knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even inanimate things that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? I'll take just a moment and tell you that cessationists say, oh, Paul is just talking about that he spoke multiple different languages himself. So if he came and spoke in, you know, Greek versus in in you know, uh, Hebrew that they wouldn't understand. Oh, okay, so let's just read the scripture. In fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of language in the world and all have meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another language should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray. Now, wait a minute. Why does he say, if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful? Because if this was that Paul was saying, hey, I speak five different languages, and if I come and speak in a language, you guys won't understand. He says, I won't understand. If he spoke in other languages, and that's what he's talking about, then he would know what he was saying, and he would not have to say, then my spirit will be unfruitful. So apparently, whether it is then a language he doesn't understand, or if it is as we would see in... uh, and elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, which is actually in 13, where he says, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels. All right, so that's enough of that. There are many gifts stated. We're going to dig into more of this next week. I don't have enough time. It would be of no use for God to include the statements like 1 Corinthians 14 about gifts and all of this if it was going to die out 40 to 50 years after Jesus was resurrected. Wouldn't be any reason for that to be put into the canon of the Bible because it wouldn't have any any application at all. We're talking New Testament. We're not talking Old Testament where you can look and go, okay, we understand that that's in the Old Covenant and we're going to get what we can learn out of that. This is New Testament with them speaking to the New Testament church about what it was supposed to look like. And Paul says to them, not the apostles, because that's what people, they say, oh, well, that just died out with the apostles. They were the ones who, well, then how come Paul, the apostle, writes to the church at Corinth and says, I wish that you all spoke in other languages. I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but I would rather that you all prophesied. I don't have enough time, so here's what I want you to read between now and next week, because this is what we're going to talk about. First Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is what you need to read before next week. As Paul says, now concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware. There are spiritual gifts, different gifts, but the same Spirit. 
To one is given a message of wisdom. Oh, I'm going to read some of it. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. To another, interpretations of languages. I want you to drop down to 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has placed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping managing various kinds of languages. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? We know the answer to all those is no. Everybody doesn't. But desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you an even better way. And then he goes on to say, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love. Mm. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be diving into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know if you came pumped up today going, man, he's fixing to talk about, you know, some, I'm sorry, I needed to get you some foundation because you needed to be able to believe or you need to be able to go back and wrestle with it if you need to on what the scripture is, what the scripture says, what the scripture shows, and that it shows there is this progression that happened apostles and disciples who were believers, who were in the upper room. By the way, I could even take you to the end of John, which had probably occurred about eight days after Jesus rose, where Jesus actually breathes on. Oh, I'm going to mess you up there. He actually breathes on the, uh, the, 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 the apostles. They're all gathered together, and he says, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. But then 30-some-odd days later, he meets with them in Acts 1 and says, Now, tarry in Jerusalem and don't leave because there's gonna be, you're going to be baptized with the whole, mm. We're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, what does it mean to be filled and then to be refilled? Your car, you can go fill it up. I promise if you drive it, you will not do that once for long or else it will run out and it will need to be refilled. You still have the car. It still operates off gas. It still belongs to you, but yet you will have to refill it in order for it to have power. I almost want to go eat lunch and come back and preach some more, but anyway. So, we're going to pray. Um, as I was reading in, uh, in one of these books that I was studying this, this week, and, and a guy talked about something, and man, God just immediately convicted my heart, and I said something to Michelle, and she said, you're not going to believe this. We've been talking about this with several different ladies outside of here. And, um, so, and, and I hate to say starting next week like it's going to be something. But the Bible's pretty clear about something. And the Bible says if there's any among you that's sick, let them call upon the elders of the church and they will anoint them with oil and they will pray. And the prayer of faith will, uh, will, you know, will save the sick and if they've, or uh, it'll, uh, it'll heal the sick. And if they've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven. Um, that's just what the Bible says. Um, so starting next week, um, we will, at the end of service, we will be... Um, we will be having a time where whether you end up coming to an altar or not about prayer or for uh, whatever, uh, we are going to open up um, and end every service on, on Sundays with, uh, is there any among us that are sick? You've got financial problems, you've got whatever kind of problems, then, uh, then if, if you want to be prayed for, then we're gonna we're gonna pray. We're gonna anoint with oil. I'm not. I, I've always said I'm not a I'm not a slapping people on the forehead, trying to knock people down, all that kind of stuff. That's not. And I think that's why I've kind of backlash somewhat against all this. 
but God has really just put in my heart. I've talked a lot with Michelle, and I just really feel like that uh, somewhat I have straddled the fence on, uh, on what our church is, or at least what I am. And, um, and I have, I, I told her, I said, you know, there's a lot of people in the community that they believe that we are what they would term as spirit field. And then there's other people that would say they think we're probably Baptist or whatever else. And, and we got to get somewhere off of that fence. And what, what the fence is going to be is kind of what we saw here today. And we're going to pray for people and anoint people. And, and I, I, you know, it, uh, I, I'm just tired of being a, uh, yet another church with no power. Right?